You were listening to Love the One You're With by Stephen Stills, and now you're listening to A Dead Man Walking if my wife listens to this and doesn't find the joke as funny as I do, because that's exactly who we have on the podcast today to talk about faith and marriage. My beautiful wife, Karen Drum. All jokes aside, though, when I thought about this important topic of what a faith-driven marriage looks like, I immediately thought of my wife, Karen, and couldn't think of anyone better to help us understand the idea of a biblical marriage than Karen. So I hope you enjoy this discussion as I sit down with someone very familiar and very dear to me as we talk about what we've been through and we hear from Karen specifically on what has been foundational for her in establishing and sustaining a faith-filled and godly marriage by being a godly and faithful wife. I look forward to you all getting a glimpse of Karen's heart and spirit that so beautifully reflects God's design for a spouse in marriage. And I think that many of the things she has to say can really impact and encourage us in our own marriages. But without further ado, Let's tune into the discussion with my wife, Karen Drum. Karen, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Good. What did you have for breakfast this morning? Well, I knew you were going to ask that obviously. And so I thought about getting up early and pressing my own green juice, but I decided not to do that. (laughs) (laughs) So I had my, um, normal bagel with cream cheese and orange mango juice and a cup of coffee. There you go. Well, you have the benefit and the curse of being married to the interviewer. So I know that this is awkward for you. Like for the instance, you knew that that question was coming. Yes. Um, but also it's fun today. I Uh, The topic of today's podcast is marriage, and as I was thinking who I wanted to interview, I thought there would be no better person than my wife uh, for us to talk about our marriage and for listeners to understand um, what we've gone through, what marriage has been like. And so kind of the first question is, we're coming up on eight years um, this June, yeah. and what do you think those first years were like, and how are they different now? What were some of the things that um, we didn't know that caught you off guard, and how were those first couple years of marriage? Well, we were very young. We were 21 and 22 when we got married. And so I think that in itself presented a lot of difficulties um, as we just didn't have that much life experience. And also we had dated long distance, so we didn't know each other. Um, I mean, we didn't live together or live in the same place for longer than two weeks before we got married. So it was quite the adjustment to go from just talking on the phone most of the time to uh, living together as husband and wife. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) So what do you think, um, you know, those first couple years were really tough. They were really, we did not have a honeymoon sweet phase like everyone told us was going to happen. What do you think were some of the reasons why those first years were tough. What were some of the things that you think we dealt with that maybe most people um, could really be helped by hearing? Well, I think culture tells us that the hard part is finding the love of your life and finding the person that you want to marry. And then once you find that person, it's, you know, happily ever after. And that's the hard part. When in reality, it's the hard part is just beginning when you get married. And, um, so I think we both kind of looked at marriage to complete us and to make us happy when in reality it was just the beginning of our sanctification process. Yeah. Uh, one of it's amazing. You would think that we would come into marriage and already sanctify because we have Jesus 
Um, but man, you're, it just began. And I mm-hmm. think back to the book we read when we were in premarital counseling, Sacred Marriage by Gary Chapman. And the premise of that book is that marriage is designed to make you holy and not happy. And um, I was amazed how quickly I realized that that's the point of marriage, was that for me to make much of Christ and to be presented holy, not necessarily for me to be personally happy. And so most people told me before I got married that I would need to learn to live with my wife in an understanding way, because that's what the Apostle Paul says, live with your wife in an understanding way. Uh, And I think what I had to learn is to live with my wife, not a wife. Mm -hmm. And so how easy it was to live with a wife um, that culture says, this is what a wife should be. This is what it's like to have a wife and be married. But learning to live with you was different. I had to learn what your needs were, what how you receive love, and also how to live the gospel out with you. What what about you? How how did you learn, you know, and that's a weird question coming from me, but how did you learn <laughs> to live in an understanding way with me during those first couple years? Yeah, I mean, I think you learn that not everyone has the same um, love language and not everyone has... Um the same understandings that you do and the same thoughts on marriage and life that you do. And so you have to learn what makes the other person tick and what makes them happy and, um, how they live their life and how to best serve them. And that is quite a process. It's not something that comes easily. It is. It is. And, um, I think one of the things that prepared me well was we had some people give us some good tools, um, that we had friends as uh, growth group leaders, um, mm-hmm. mentors give us some tools that helped us get through those first couple years of marriage. What do you think some of those tools were for you? Um, I think the book that you mentioned, um, what was it? Sacred marriage. Sacred marriage. That was a really good one. And when I read that book, that was really the first time that the thought ever even occurred to me. Again, I was 22 that, um, marriage wasn't supposed to make you happy or that marriage wasn't all about being happy, but it was about serving the Lord. And that was just a concept that I had never really dove in on. Yeah. And I think the biblical understanding of marriage is a lot different than sometimes what our friends and even our parents who are Christians think that marriage should be. Uh, Definitely. I think, well, and also when you first get married, you're creating your own definition of marriage, meaning like, it's different from what your parents' marriage looks like. It's different than what your friend's marriage looks like. It's different from any other marriage you've ever seen because it's yours. I think this is an important point that Karen brought up. When we grow up, usually our idea of marriage is heavily tied to our parents and our perception of their marriage. And for many who grew up in broken families, this is a huge obstacle and can often discourage young people from getting married. But even for people whose parents stayed together, there can be negative memories or even just misconceptions about the way it's going to be. This is where it's helpful for us to turn to the scriptures for our understanding of marriage and where it should be. We shouldn't be letting the culture tell us what marriage should be and what we should expect from it. If we do, we'll find the definition to be dissatisfying, unhealthy, and even unsustainable. We'll often find that it's geared toward all the wrong things, namely our own self-destructive and selfish desires. When we understand marriage, how the scripture defines it, instead of how Hollywood or anyone else defines it, then we will be on the right track and have a fighting chance at this beautiful, challenging, and rewarding institution God set up for us. Let's briefly listen to Tony Evans talk about how God set up this incredible thing called marriage way back in Genesis and find out how his central purpose for inventing it and giving it to us. The first reason why marriage, male and female coming together, was created by God is for the purpose of reflection. 
reflection. Let us create them in our own image. An image is a mirror. When you go to the mirror, you see a reflection of you. You are looking at you when you look in the mirror. We want to create them in our own image. That is, we want man and woman and the relationship that comes out of it, marriage, to be a mirror in the visible realm of who we are and what we are like in the invisible realm. We want to mirror ourselves in history as we are in eternity. Create them in my image. So you as a man, as a woman, and then in a relationship called marriage, you are supposed to mirror the triune God. Wow, what an incredible word from Dr. Tony Evans, and how powerful and profound a definition is that? The best rom-com or chick flick out there can't hold a candle to this definition of love and marriage. We have so many different preconceptions about marriage from every kind of experience in our lives, and don't get me wrong, they aren't all bad, and everyone's experiences are their own and are legitimate. But who are we letting have the final word on what marriage is all about? Are we letting bad examples of broken people keep us from viewing marriage the way God does? Or are we grasping the magnitude and the beauty of this union which reflects the life and relationship of the all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-good triune God? We should understand marriage the way Tony Evans just described it, as a mirror reflecting the glory of God. Let's get back to the discussion where we discussed the first few years of marriage and how we had to shed some cultural notions of marriage we had, even ones we had gotten from Christian circles. So I think one of the other things that's fascinating to me is I look back on marriage and it's amazing now eight years in versus I think when three years is when it really became sweet for me is when I learned how to be your teammate, not, not your Lord and master. And I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of in the church, the role of the idea of submissiveness Mm -hmm. and the idea of a husband is the head of the household. The wife is to be submissive. Even the Apostle Paul in Ephesians uses the church to be the synonym for what marriage is, is that marriage is an example of what the, we are to Christ. And so there's this idea of, well, we are men are to be the head and women are to be submissive. And I think it was fascinating is that as I got married and as I dove into the scriptures, that was quite different than the culture that I grew up in taught me. It was, I think I looked at submissiveness as, um, I remember... <laughs> The, this is a funny example, but right before Karen and I got married, there was someone who says, is your future wife submissive, Ethan? And I said, well, I think so. And he, I said, well, how do you know? She goes, well, when you say you want to go to dinner somewhere, and she says, where would you like to go, dear? And I said, well, let's go to Outback. Then her answer should be, yes, dear, let's go to Outback. And I remember thinking. <laughs> that's never happened. Yes, that's never, that's, that's never happened in our relationship. But I remember thinking that really can't be the way it is. That can't. That, that's very robotic-like. That was it's sad. It's sad. Um, and it, it wasn't a team. And I think no. in year three, correct me if I'm wrong, but in year three, I saw a really transforming place in our marriage is when I started to realize how much better and what it was like when we were a team versus this Lord and Master 
I'm the boss. You're my you're my associate, and we're doing this life together. Mm-hmm. What? How did you feel for you? What What do you feel like that transition was like? Yeah, I feel like we well we met working at a camp for high school students, and so we kind of met and were a team, you know, with several other people. And I feel like that really gave us a firm foundation for just being a team. And, you know, I think you said year three, but I know it's details. It doesn't really matter. But I feel like that's been one of our founding principles of our marriage, you could say, is that we are a team and we do everything in, as a team. Yeah. And I don't want to knock my parents or my grandparents or generations ahead of us, but I think as generations have gone on it's progressed and it's gotten better um and i think also culture has enlightened us a lot of of thinking through biblically uh, how do we how do we actually practice marriage and live in this world the good world that god created with sin in it with um mis misconstrued ideas of what a biblical marriage should be and i think it goes back to looking at the way god and christ have a relationship of god the father and christ the son while christ is submissive to Jesus, they're the same but different. Um, they're not the same, and one is less equal more than the other. They're the same but different. And I think that's what was fascinating for me is understanding that Karen had no less worth than me or no more worth than me, that we were equal in worth, equal in value to one another, but we had different roles. And so how do you think that plays out in our marriage now? What are some of the different roles, how we both do different things, and not just around the house, but how? what are some of the different ways that the roles that we take in leading through marriage? Well, I think it changes based on seasons of our lives. You know, right now you're the one working and I'm the one staying at home with our son. But, um, and even that, you know, even though you are working and I'm technically not right now, it's not a ticket for you to not help out with raising our son or (laughs) to not help out around the house. You're still very helpful and you still have equal share around here. Um, when you're not working. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. I think back to Christy Britton. Um, so if you've been listening to this podcast and you remember her episode on motherhood, she talked about her um, despising the word babysitting, that dads really don't babysit. Oh, gosh. <laughs> that yeah. Dads don't babysit their that's own children. Ridiculous. Is that men um, should understand their roles as not um, doing whatever the wife doesn't do, but it's a team and together. And I think this, it's amazing when I tell people about kind of what it looks like for Karen and I to live in the same house. Uh, Karen washes clothes. I make the beds, I cook, and then we split kind of everything else down the middle. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, you mean she doesn't cook? She doesn't clean. She doesn't wash the kids. She doesn't <laughs> do this. And I'm like, no, she's only one person. Mm-hmm. I, I really don't know how so many women um, in so many of those situations have survived for so many years without a husband being, an equal sharing partner in what we do. And and I agree that, you know, like you said, I do work, so I'm gone a portion of the day. Right. But I think when I come home, it's expected that, hey, this is our life. This is our marriage. This is our family. We do it together. 100%. Yes. It's kind of like when you take Hayes to the grocery store and everyone's like, wow, look at that dad taking Hayes to the grocery store. I'm like, where's my praise when I take Hayes to the grocery store? Um, You know, it's, it's the same. It's, you know, so I appreciate that you, you view that that way. Yeah. And I think I was just talking to a friend today and one of the conversations we were having was how we have other friends who are men. And I'm, and I want to speak to men who are listening to this podcast, how it's amazing that they literally have checked out 
on parenting their kids, except for when it comes to disciplinary matters or emergency issues. And they're not, they don't see themselves as needing to step in. And so what's amazing is their, their wives are playing the husband of father and mother. And um, I think that's a major cultural shift um, that has taken place. And I think men have become less, not only men, um, but less fathers. And I think we, we're seeing major cultural impact with that, with the way uh, crime rates, with the way kids are being raised and the way kids are turning out. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, God gave us two people to parent children for a reason. Um, if it was just the wife's job, then marriage would not look the way it was. <laughs> This is another important reminder for us as we understand everything that marriage involves. The reason why the whole dad is babysitting thing is such a pet peeve of ours is because it represents such an unhealthy and unbiblical approach to fatherhood, which directly affects our marriage and our family. When us men have a skewed view of marriage and the family such as this one, we fail not only our wives, but also our kids. And ultimately we fail God by not following his plan. Because this is such an important piece of the puzzle that affects marriages and not just children, I want to share with you a clip from Pastor Vody Bacham that should challenge and encourage men to take up their responsibility to their wives and to their families. Let's listen in. First, yes, there is the idea of a man and his headship and his leadership with his wife. Unfortunately for many of us, that's sort of where we stop. The whole thing is about who is, is the man the head of his marriage? Yeah, the man's the head of his marriage, but please don't stop there. The man is also the head of his household as it relates to the training and discipleship of his children, which means men cannot and must not abdicate when it comes to the training and discipleship of their children. Here's the great irony. The great irony is we have men who want to stand up and pound their chest. Yes, the Bible says I am the head. I am the head of my marriage. So when my wife and I have a disagreement, I have the last word. Hurrah. Good for you. Let me ask you this. Are you the chief and principal discipler of your children? Well, see... Well, see, when my wife and I, when, 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 we, when, we're, when, when we're trying to, I, I'm, I'm the boss of her. <laughs> Have you laid a roadmap for how your children learn to believe the right things in order that they might be transformed by the gospel? Yeah, but see, but see the, yeah, the, the Bible says that my wife, she's supposed to, see, that's where we want to end. But the text says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Does this mean that my wife doesn't have a role to play in the discipleship of my children? No. Any more than it means that my wife doesn't have a role to play in any of the other aspects of our family life. But the idea here is that I am to exercise headship when it comes to the discipleship of my children. We have lost this. What a powerful challenge for us men who are listening to these truths. Our role as husbands is a responsibility more than it is a privilege, and we shouldn't be abdicating this responsibility. We shouldn't leave our wives to handle the litany of responsibilities that go along with the privilege of having a family and a home. Being a husband in a godly marriage means laying down your life and reflecting Christ's love for the church and your own life for your wife. 
We often conveniently ignore these responsibilities while gloating or abusing our privileges and damaging our marriage and fail to live up to God's plan for us. Now let's get back to the discussion with Karen and find out a little bit more about our family and how Karen had to adjust to these new opportunities. Yeah. And so now you, you brought up Hayes. Hayes is our son. We have another on the way, Corbett, yes. who will be our daughter. Um, so we fast forward. We get into year five of marriage, mm-hmm. and we find out we're pregnant. Uh, talk about that for you, because that, that was a little bit of a, a, a hard right turn for you. Um, talk about maybe even your um, change in mindset of having children, wanting children, and now a mother. Yeah, so when we first got married well and really all my life I didn't desire to be a mother I didn't babysit other kids children and uh babysit's an appropriate word there but (laughs) I didn't not for a father um I didn't take care of other kids and we have this the sweetest neighbors and we have this little eight-year-old girl who just adores our son and she always wants to play with him and we say that he's her real life American boy doll (laughs) (laughs) and she dressed him up as a snowman yesterday but it's so precious but that was just never me I just never wanted to have children and I I knew biblically that I was going to have children because that's what you know in some form or fashion I didn't know exactly what it looked like but that was definitely not a desire on my heart um initially. And then of course, um, we decided to go ahead and have children and we had haze and it was very difficult at first, you know, kind of like our marriage is a little rocky at first, but, um, now I obviously just can't even imagine my life without him. And he is just too cute. And obviously now we're having a second one. So it's going pretty well. (laughs) Yeah. And I think back to that, um, a lot of things have changed since then. Marriage Mm -hmm. has changed. Marriage is different with kids yes um yeah you think marriage is hard (laughs) and then you decide to have a child and then it gets really really hard (laughs) again the same friend who i was having lunch with today i said he said man how are you super pumped are you excited about having a second one i said i am but i said is it bad that i have moments of going oh my goodness we're about to start over yeah again yeah and uh, i I want you to have those thoughts (laughs) i want you to remember (laughs) and he he said something that was uh it was funny he's like you're gonna call me and we're gonna be you're gonna be a couple weeks in and say what did i do then you're gonna call me a couple (laughs) you're gonna call me a couple weeks later and say what did i do why what have we done he said but then as you get into a couple months he said and you start realizing okay wow we can do this and i think because we're a team, you know, yeah. it's, it's that back to that pink. But let's talk about real quick. How do you think marriage has changed? What, what do you think the things people who are thinking about having children or maybe they have children and marriage is really tough for them right now? What are some of the things you got to watch out for and some of the things you got to actually look for to protect your marriage when bringing children into it? Yeah, I think you have to have good communication um, going into it or quickly after because there's just so much that changes and there's so much that you don't even know what you need. You can't talk about it beforehand because you have absolutely no idea what it's going to look like until you have a child and you have no idea what you need or what you need them to do. And if you can't be honest and communicate, then you're going to be just as the mom, I mean, you're just going to be by yourself because, you know, husbands, they can't read our minds. I thought Ethan could, but he couldn't. (laughs) I would love to. I would love, I would love that gift. Well, it's kind of like he, when we were at the hospital, when I gave birth to Hayes, Hayes, he, um, 
he thought, you know, we're all just kind of tired of this. Like we're all ready to go home. And so he asked the nurse if we could go home early. And I'm like, hello, I don't want to go home early. I like it here. There's a nursery. I get to sleep at least an hour solid while they watch Hayes. And when we go home, there's no, there's no nurse, there's no assistance. And so he was like, well, I just assumed you're ready to go home. Like, no, 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 don't assume that. <laughs> um, so that's just one small example of how you just have to communicate with one another. And you have to look for ways to serve one another because your, um, your time goes down so significantly and you can't, you have to be each other's voice Yeah, absolutely. and you have to say, you know, okay, you've, you've been doing this for several days. You need to take a nap and stuff. I mean, stuff like that, but you know, you have to look out for what the other person needs and be thinking about the other person. Absolutely. And I, I think if uh, there's times of where I'm like, man, before we had kids, I wish I would have done this, this, and this. And then yes. n- now uh, I think about it differently. I wish there were some things I would have perfected before we had kids because it would have made me a better husband and better and better father. And I think if I'm talking to people out here who you don't have kids yet, use this time now to to perfect investing in your marriage, serving one another, and being intentional with your time. And I think that's the... You know, I look, look back as a kid, and one of the things that my dad said that broke my heart, but I'm glad he said it because it impacted me today, is I was asking him, hey, don't go away with mom. Take me. Let's go somewhere. Let's go Let's go hunt. Let's go do something. Forget about taking mom to Asheville uh, on vacation um, and getting away. And he looked at me and said, son, you are the icing. Your mom is the cake. You know, one day you're going to be gone, and, and the cake's what That's matters. Sad. It is sad. It broke my heart. Uh, but then I remembered, you know, why I love Hayes. And while I want to invest in him, the core of what makes Hayes function and what allows us to contribute is our marriage. And our marriage is what keeps it was what keeps not only Hayes going, but keeps us together. And so I think one of the things is not allowing your kids to become an idol and to where all your attention, all your focus and all your affection goes to investing in them. And you neglect to invest the very thing that's the bedrock and the foundation of what God's given to support them. Yes. No, I agree. It's just... <laughs> hard to hear. It is hard to hear because you I love Hayes. Bad. Yeah. I'm like, Hayes, I love you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's crazy how countercultural this notion is at this point to put your spouse first, even before your kids. And it was funny for me to hear the two parts of my wife coming out one who wholeheartedly agrees with this important biblical truth, as she mentioned, and the other maternal instinct to protect my son Hayes and keep him at the center of her attention. And I think the beautiful thing about marriage and family is that God has set it up to work together so that we rarely, if we ever, have to prioritize one over the other. But occasionally, we need to remind ourselves of the hard truth that we can make our kids idols, which distract us from preserving the heart of the family and the source of its stability and health, the relationship between the husband and the wife. It's the first and great institution given to us by God for the purpose of reflecting and participating in the life of God. It's also the New Testament analogy for the relationship of God and the church. So we should remind ourselves often of the importance of this privilege. We have the opportunity to participate in and not let anything come between it. This episode of Christians You Should Know is sponsored by Honest Car Payment. In a world where buying a car is often misleading and dishonoring to God, Honest Car Payment has created a redeeming way to buy and refinance a car. 
Just listen to Aku and Lynette's story in Hawaii as they interacted with Honest Car Payment. Aloha, I'm Aku, and this is my wife, Lynette, and we're from Kalihi. When we first bought our Nissan Frontier, we thought we had a good deal, but yet we were wrong. Our interest was 24%. We called Honest Car Payment and got a new loan right away. We saved over $18,000. That type of money is going to change our life. If your car payment is too high, don't settle. You have options. Call Honest Car Payment today at 534-1234 or visit honestcarpayment.com. So, you know, one of the last questions, Karen, I want to ask you is there's a lot of people listening right now who's, who are probably moms um, and who are maybe in the same place you were or thinking about having kids and maybe struggling. What would you say if you had to go back to that 22-year-old Karen who just got married? Um, what were some of the things you would want her to know and some things that you think are important to prepare them for where you're at now in life? I think I would want her to know that it is a long journey and it may seem like to like that moment or, you know, each day is such a big deal, but, um, it's really just about the long, long game and not the short game. And just, you know, like every, every good thing, at least in my life has been hard at first. It was really hard getting married. It was really hard having a child. But those are both the best things that have ever happened to me. So I think anything good is going to be hard. And then it, and then it gets good. So you just got to be patient and <laughs> work for it. Yeah, I agree with you. It is definitely a marathon. It's not mm-hmm. a sprint. And I think if I had to do the same, looking back, is I would tell people, one, if you're single listening to this, you're, you're not going to prepare to be married when you're engaged, you're preparing to be married now and how you are as a person now existing as a single person, the way that you uh, serve your church, the way that you serve friends and family, the way that you extend hospitality to others, all those things will prepare you to be married. And then I would say if you're just getting married um, right now is the time to, to stop and prepare yourself for that marathon. And I think um, the most important thing that for us is that we're we're rooted in the gospel and we're rooted that we're sinners saved by grace and mm-hmm. that it's the future grace that we keep getting extended and will get extended until the end of eternity that what keeps us going and protects us. Yes. Yeah. We still don't have it figured out. No. So don't, no. don't listen to this and think we're here saying that we have it figured out because we don't. <laughs> no. I, and we could do a whole other podcast. I'm just saying here's all the ways we don't have it. Exactly. Figured out. <laughs> Karen, I love you. Thank you so much for your time today. You're so welcome. It was such a burden. (laughs) Just joking. (laughs) Thanks, babe. (laughs) Well, that concludes our discussion with my amazing wife, Karen, and I honestly can't tell you how thankful I am to have been able to have her here with me recording this podcast together. I'm so grateful for her insights, and I hope that our discussion has encouraged you or challenged you in some significant way. Whether you are married or single, husband or wife, father or mother, I think that We can learn so much about God and His goodness and His plan for our lives by studying the biblical institution of marriage. But before we go, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't consider the young couples out there listening to this podcast today that may be struggling and even thinking about giving up on marriage because of hurt or brokenness or just because it can just be hard. I just want to encourage you and remind you that it gets easier. Karen and I also struggled earlier on, and like most couples, There were certain days where it was really, really hard to keep going, but by the grace of God and through our commitment to one another because of our faith, we can stand here today and praise God for our wonderful marriage. 
Remember, it's like anything else you get what you put into it. Take these biblical truths to heart and dispense with the shallow Hollywood definitions of love and marriage and replace them with what God says about your marriage. And you'll eventually find yourself in a beautiful and meaningful place that you wouldn't trade for anything in this world. It just takes time, effort, and above all, a commitment to one another and God's command. So with that in mind, I want to share a bit of a song by the Christian singer and songwriter Andy Gullhorn. It's called Give It Time, and I think it's really relevant to our topic today, and especially for young couples struggling through their first years. Let's have a listen. What a beautiful song. I love the hope and encouragement he conveys, even through the serious reflections on the practical difficulties of getting used to a partner and finding ways to cherish the differences. Feel free to go listen to the rest of the song and be encouraged as I was when I first heard it. Well, that's all we have for this week's podcast. It's been a pleasure to have my wife, Karen Drum, on the podcast, and I hope you have enjoyed listening to our discussion as much as I enjoyed recording it. I'm Ethan Drum, and this is Christians You Should Know.